Now, I'm not saying it's a coincidence that E3 has been dead since Triple Click started, but uh, ESA, you better watch out. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. Today, we are talking about Resident Evil 4, a new remake from Capcom that tightens up those graphics on level 3 and every other level. I'm Jason Schreier. I'm Kirk Hamilton. And I'm Maddie Myers. It's us. Hello. Hey. Hello, my friends. We're back Welcome again. Welcome back for another episode. We we did it. We survived Max Fun Drive. <laughs> we thrived, uh, you could the even gauntlet. say. We survived and thrived <laughs> in the Max Fun Drive. Uh, mm-hmm. Big shout out to everybody who uh, supported the show during Max Fun Drive. We got a yeah. lot of new members and boosters and upgraders. And I hope you all enjoy all the bonus stuff that you got, like mm-hmm. the recipe book and uh, that spice thing. And our stickers, of course, our Chamming in the Bit yes. stickers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You guys have heard us talk a lot about this, so I will do a very abridged version. But just a reminder that we are a listener-supported podcast. Go to MaximumFun.org, slash join, support us, get bonus episodes. We just put out an episode last week on The Last of Us, the HBO show. So if you want to listen to that, become a member and you will get it. Um, yeah. Also, uh, happy Passover to all of the other uh, hey. chosen Yay. ones out there. All the <laughs> celebrators of Passover. It's yeah, fun indeed. times. I hope you all had a had a good Seder. Yeah, some of us celebrate it without being chosen, Jason. That's some, true. Some of That's us are true. just engaged to one of the but chosen Maddie, people. I like to think you're also chosen just by being in proximity. It's true. I'm also... chosen by a chosen person. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, right. The transitive property of yeah, choosing, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, as chosen people, we can choose people to come along with us. It's and true. It's join true. our cult, right. our cult of the chosen. <laughs> um, isn't the chosen? That sounds know, like a great. destiny, a destiny race it. or something. The it fallen, does. the vex, and the chosen. It almost has to be. Is that? Is there a character in Destiny called the Chosen? That almost there seems must like be. there must be a, like a raid boss is. named the Chosen. That must be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of chosen, we have chosen to play a video game this week, Kirk. We have. What are it's we playing? True. We're playing Resident Evil 4 Remake. And I have a little bit of a preamble written out just to, to contextualize things. Since Thank some goodness. people might not know what Resident Evil 4 is. Resident Evil 4 originally came out in 2005 for the Nintendo GameCube, but it has since been ported to a ton of different systems. Basically every other gaming system that's ever existed, including a terrific 2007 Wii port and an actually equally terrific 2021 virtual reality port to the Oculus Quest 2, which I think is the only one of us that played, but is really, like, really, really good. It was developed by Capcom and directed by Shinji Mikami. It is uh, the story of Leon S. Kennedy. They always designate his middle name. Yeah. S. What I don't is know what it stands name? for. Probably special oh, no. forces, all one special word. Special forces, one word. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Leon special forces Kennedy. I think they, they do the middle name because that's what the Kennedy family did, like John F. Okay, Kennedy. now I'm looking it up so we know. Kirk, continue Okay, that's your good. Spiel. Interject when you, when you learn. Scott. Scott. That was so easy to find out. That's not as good as Special Forces. (laughs) It's really Leon Scott Kennedy, last seen escaping (laughs) Raccoon City in the wake of the events of Resident Evil 2. He is now a government agent dispatched to rural Spain to rescue the president's daughter, Ashley Graham. Resident Evil 4 is notable as a departure from the series' horror roots, or at least a partial departure. It's a shift more toward action, a trend that would continue with 2009's Resident Evil 5, and in particular 2012's Resident Evil 6, before the series again reinvented itself by returning to its horror roots with 2017's Resident Evil 7. 
Over the same years, Resident Evil 4's influence continued to reverberate through the games industry and more and more single-player games borrowed from its formula, and that arguably is still true today. 18 years after it came out, it remains one of the most influential games of the modern era, and now it has been re-released in a more polished, somewhat more modern format as Resident Evil 4 Remake. I guess they're just calling it Resident Evil 4 because they just want to confuse search <laughs> engines forever. Yeah, lowercase r remake. It's not right. part of the title, not a Final Fantasy right. 7 not situation. Right. Right. And uh, yeah, we've all been playing it. Um, we've been playing games influenced by it for many, many years. Uh, and we're going to talk about it on this episode. So I'm curious uh, what the two of you make of this remake, how much of it you've played. Maddie, how about you kick us off? Sure. So I played the original game multiple times, which okay. maybe helps with this discussion because I'm not as far in the new one as I'd like to be. I just got to El Gigante. Uh, if people remember okay. that boss, uh, but if you don't, I'm on chapter four. <laughs> he's a uh, big boy. <laughs> he's a big boy. Eventually, you run across like a huge axe leaning against something, and you're like, "Oh, mm -hmm. what what possible being could wield such a <laughs> massive axe?" You might think to yourself, "Well." El Gigante is going to show up just a little later. Yes. <laughs> There's so much foreshadowing. Anyway, uh, so I'm, I'm a few hours in. I'm really enjoying it so far. There are a few differences that I've already noticed and some that I've read about. And I'm, I'm definitely curious uh, what you make of them, Kirk, because I think you played the original as well. But so far, I'm just kicking it, really liking the game and appreciating that this is not a very scary video game, which we can also talk <laughs> about. Dead Space remake, yeah. especially the remake, was so much scarier than the original for me that it was eventually a pretty rough hang. I never did beat it. But this one, it just looks amazing, but isn't really freaking me out that much. So I'm just, mm, I'm just having a, a delightful time. I'm just having a good time kicking some zombie butt and being a cool guy with a cool... 2000s era emo boy haircut <laughs> he does have a cool haircut jason um how much have you played and what's your relationship with the original yeah maddie i'm offended you left me out because i finished the original. oh did you I through oh great i thought this Evil was 4. your first time i but you're right of course we've all played so i actually Game never Cube. finished the original oh. i'm the three of us not to to spoil my own thing but go ahead jason yeah go yeah ahead. and then uh, i don't know i found this remake to be a little bit of a tough hang not because it's a bad remake just because i am personally not super interested in this type of game anymore especially if i played it already i kind of feel similarly to how i felt with the dead space remake earlier this mm -hmm. year where i just like appreciated it but i was just like i just don't really have any desire to play through it um i don't know something about it just didn't grip me maybe it's the kind of lack of interesting story or the lack of kind of interesting gameplay hook to keep me playing but in general when I play a game and I'm like wow this feels like every game I've ever played before I just like don't really <laughs> want to keep going that said um I played a little bit uh uh just a, a a smidgen I warned you both of you before the before we recorded that I was just I only had time to play a little bit um over the past couple of weeks uh I played and got to Mr. Chainsaw Man and it brought back all sorts of horrible <laughs> memories of getting to Mr. Chainsaw Man. Did you get him, him or did you run? Out. I ran. I ran as fast mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. Leon's Both legs Both completely could take me. viable options. Which, yes. uh, uh, yeah, very. I, this is a game that is deliberately kind of slow and chunky and makes you makes you really have to think about every movement and and wants you to survive and hoard your ammo and all that good stuff, which I remember enjoying quite a bit back in the day when I first played it. But um, yeah, I appreciate how beautiful it looks and how um, how like 
how vividly they've remade a game that uh, that ha- has not aged quite as well as, as like this remake is pr- pretty much the ideal way to play it. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure how much more I'm going to play or anything like that. So I have played um, a little farther than you, Maddie. I'm up to where I rescued Ashley, and now we're kind of going through the, at the time, I think when it came out, infamous sort of co-op or not co-op. I guess it's a, an escort quest. An escort mm-hmm. mission. Mm-hmm. And it lasts the whole game. Ugh. Right, then the whole rest of the game, or at least a lot of it. I'd kind of forgotten that word because we don't really talk about yeah. escort missions anymore because games kind of stopped doing them. Or made them so inoffensive that people don't even think of them as a big right. trial anymore. Well, right. no, what happened was, yeah, The Last of Us and Bioshock Infinite both came out and both made the escort part invulnerable. And that's what every game did after that. Right. Or helpful. Like, they don't. like in Bioshock Infinite, Liz helps you a lot. She's constantly throwing you stuff. Like you, right, you really right. can't be annoyed that mm-hmm. she's there. Ashley doesn't do much for you. And in The Last of Us, Ellie sometimes. <laughs> and in The Last of Us, too. Yeah, yeah. But most importantly, they're not a nuisance because yes. it's funny that both of those games, remember we were talking about some of the connections between both of those games. It's yeah. funny they both come out around the same time and both revolutionize Escort Quest because, yeah, I can't remember any game since then, to your point, Maddie, that does an Escort Quest and is like, here's a vulnerable person mm-hmm. Usually a lady that you have to protect. Yeah. It's problematic for multiple reasons. Totally. <laughs> and RE4, I think, is one of the most famous examples of that trope in history and was the comparison point when The Last of Us and Bioshock Infinite came out, because in much the same way, you're sort of taking on a paternal role in mm-hmm. in Infinite and in The Last of Us. And you're kind of doing a different version of that here as Leon, because like, yes, she's someone's daughter, she's underage, but she's got a crush on you and I've always perceived Leon as being somewhat irritated by Ashley, but I guess it's open mm. to interpretation. Well, and isn't she much more annoying as a character in the original? Like, I think that's also the case is that her yes, character... Yes, and they've rewritten her, yeah, yeah, which is interesting. And they've also rewritten Ada a bit, but we can get to that Yeah, in a do you want to talk? Well, just kind of to zoom out a little bit there, I said it. Um, Maddie, <laughs> I, I, Thank I, God. I, Maddie, do you want to talk a little bit about just kind of like all of the differences you've noticed for people who might have played the original or might not be familiar with what the remake has to offer? Sure. So they've actually rewritten a lot of it and added in a lot of dialogue. So obviously I haven't finished it yet. So maybe I'll make more thoughts of one more thing at some future point because I probably will keep playing because it's fascinating. So one of the Mm -hmm. biggest things that's already become a meme is that Leon speaks Spanish now. So in the original game, when he first walks into that cabin and, uh, perceives these these mysterious villagers <laughs> as a threat uh, pretty yeah. immediately. He doesn't speak Spanish in the original game, and people always thought that was funny, that he doesn't even try. And, like, there's all sorts of jokes about <laughs> Leon instantly being the aggressor in those moments. Um, mm-hmm. But in this game, he's actually pretty trepidatious when he goes in and, and treats the villager who's very visibly, like, red-eyed and <laughs> like, dead and <laughs> swaying on his feet and, like, cooking yeah. human remains and uh, some type of stew. And Leon is, like, speaking Spanish to him and being like, sir, are you okay for like several <laughs> minutes before you're like, mm-hmm. Christ, Leon, draw your gun, fight off this freaking zombie, man. Or at least Haven't that's how I felt. Have you seen a zombie movie, yeah, like, Leon? Also, he, he's Weren't escaped Raccoon City. A like, zombie game? <laughs> okay, he was, he was a novice cop in the Raccoon City mm-hmm. days, but like he's lived through one zombie apocalypse. Might he be thinking to himself, is this happening again? But it doesn't occur to him in that moment. He's a very caring and compassionate young man. So he he speaks Spanish now. Also, his relationship with Luis is is a little bit more fleshed out. And with the handler that he talks on the phone with, uh, mm-hmm. it, there's basically just more lines of dialogue. Uh, Ashley 
perhaps famously her ears don't stick out anymore. She has like long hair over her awkward ears. I, I know people always talk about like the Bush era politics of this game and we can kind of get into that if y'all want to. But I always kind of saw Ashley Graham as like a Chelsea Clinton analog because mm. she's so socially awkward and Chelsea Clinton was really like made fun of a lot in the Clinton years and like scrutinized quite a bit as well. So I, at the time, always kind of saw Ashley Graham as similar in terms of like the public scrutiny she was facing and how young and awkward she was. No offense to Chelsea at all. God knows any of us would have been young and awkward yeah. in that <laughs> scenario. To Chelsea. Uh, and uh, Ada, by contrast, Ada is like the sex pot, like gorgeous ridiculous red slit dress like every single line she says to leon is super sexual but in this version she's actually a lot more buttoned up literally in terms of her costume design and also figuratively like many of her sexual lines like i'll never kiss and tell i think has been cut entirely there's a few others and uh, naturally um gamers have reacted completely normally to this uh right. sure and of course. they're definitely not mad about it at all. <laughs> yeah, not a thoughtful discourse, to, I'm yeah. sure. To spell out what you just said, capital <laughs> yeah. G gamers have definitely Oh, yeah, reacted. I should have specified that I'm normally. not talking about the lowercase g gamers here. <laughs> and You're right. Capital People... D, definitely. <laughs> capital <laughs> yeah, N, I... not. Capital M, mad. They're feeling capital R, relaxed about everything. <laughs> there are some Steam reviews that if you just want to have your brain fully fall out of your head, people have written negative reviews about the fact that Ashley Graham wears tights now, so you can't look up her skirt throughout the entire game. There's, like, one very detailed oh, review mm -hmm. of, like, here's mm -hmm. every moment that you could look up her skirt in the original game, and none <laughs> of them are available in the new game. Wow. And Re woke. We gotta boycott this I Resident Evil. I, I read this, so now everyone has to hear about it, because it's haunted me for days. <laughs> but I... I gotta admit, I like these changes. Like, these are things that when I played the original game, I was like, I don't love these elements of the game. Like, it'd be cool if Ada was a little more of a character and, like, if Ashley Graham wasn't, like, humiliated by the game's camera or allowed to be humiliated in that way. I don't feel like that's something Leon would do. So, like, I like these changes. Uh, and I think they make the game better. And for a lot of people, this is their first time playing it, so they don't even know the difference. And that's cool too, actually, I think. Yeah, staying on the sort of tonal and story stuff, since there are a lot of other changes um, as well for like mechanical changes or oh, whatever. Yeah. There's, there is a kind of charming tonal weirdness to this game that I think still exists, even though some some of the stuff has, sounds like has been toned down. I should say I played, I've played Resident Evil 4 a variety of times, but I've never really gotten super far. I think I've be basically beaten the first few acts, mm -hmm. maybe on PC. But I always kind of struggled with the standing in one place, like the tank controls where you can't move while you're aiming. Mm -hmm, that just mm -hmm, stresses mm -hmm. me out. So I never really got that far in it, even though I, I, I could tell it was really good. But um, so I am not super familiar with the changes that are made, but there is this it's interesting that Dead Space got remade so close to this one. Yeah. Of course, because Dead Space is very influenced by Resident Evil 4. I think the developers yeah, even described that. Yeah. what they were making as we want to make Resident Evil 4 in space. That's correct. <laughs> and and yet, playing Dead Space, especially Dead Space Remake, it's so um, like a movie. It looks like a movie. The actors are all acting like kind of normal people. It's pretty believable. Isaac is freaking out and screaming as he's stomping on necromorph guts. In this game, everyone is still pretty weird. And I like that. I think that it just sort of puts it in its own little space, even more so than Resident Evil 2 remake, which I really, really liked and played. Um, I probably like still better than this remake, even though 
Um, I haven't finished this one yet. But there's just there's this funny tonal disconnect with the way that Leon reacts to the world as he's moving through it and to the events that are transpiring where he'll get on the radio with his handler and just she'll be like, where where have you been? He's like, oh, sorry, I had my headset off. Um, I'm, I'm about to get the key to the church where like what just happened was that I fought a massive like sea monster in a lake and killed it and like fought through like. 500 zombie villagers that are now morphing into yeah. so it's just very very funny how he has this sort of total lack of affect when it comes to what's going on and then also just he taunts like his voice lines are still very funny the mm-hmm. taunts that he says when he kills people he'll be like oh I'm sorry I think I slipped or something yeah. after like roundhouse kicking a zombie into another uh-huh. one and like acing one through the head with his shotgun it just has a, a very funny vibe that I actually am finding very endearing mm-hmm. it, it always has I mean I feel like you have played enough Resident Evil games both of you to know that that weird tone is always present mm-hmm. and it's something yes. that I think we all really enjoy it's kind of a translation thing especially for the first game but at this point I think it's also just the specific sense of humor that this series has where it's it's Mm -hmm. corny the characters are all archetypes and that I don't think has changed despite the fact that they've sanded off some of the sexism they're all definitely still archetypes and they all just feel like you're playing house with a bunch of dolls somehow like Leon's Mm, little mm -hmm. sayings that he says like I I don't know there's just something about it that doesn't make any of them feel entirely human but not in a bad way more just in like a a B movie like the actor is looking off screen at the director for like their cue card as they're saying the line like there's just something slightly stilted about it that makes it extremely endearing and also Less scary than Dead Space, once again. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have gotten to... You guys haven't gotten to Ramon Salazar yet. Oh, my God. He is... They remade. They tried to make him a little less goofy in this version. Oh, they did. Oh, okay. Because but he's I still pretty from, goofy. I mean, what I remember from the original is him just being the most ridiculous. Boss yeah, fight this is like a screeching, character. diminutive villain. Napoleon sort of Napoleon hat, hat, hat white hair. Oh, sure. Okay, I know. Yeah, I know he's I've a very small Napoleon little guy, yes. and yeah. he's a cult leader. I guess I don't know. He's he's just my my one of my distinct memories <laughs> of Resident Evil Four. Well, and there's yeah. the merchant, right? I mean, the merchant yeah. is a pretty ridiculous character mm. who, like, you're never explained. There's an element of verisimilitude <laughs> to this game where it's pretty immersive. It's like you're in this village, you're kind of making your way through it. There are times where it feels like it's really drawing you in, and then you see this sort of glowing purple torch, and there's this guy in a hood selling you rocket launchers, and then he has a sort of whole little shooting range set up in his Mm -hmm. base like this is there's a whole sequence of this game that I just completed that it becomes pretty open like it becomes almost an open world like a little open world thing I really liked that section of the game just because there's a lot of exploration and optional treasures to find but there's kind of this home base that's it almost feels like a casino in the middle of this basically like rundown village but somehow this guy is there so there there are are these elements of it that I think have been present in other Resident Evil games too Mm -hmm. Where you just are like, okay, we're in a kind of different reality. We're we're on a, mm. a different a different wavelength in terms of what's normal. Yeah. And I think Leon's reactions to everything kind of underline that. That yeah, okay, sure. There's this guy here and he's got a shooting range, but whatever. I'm not gonna mention that to HQ. Like it's not a big deal. That's normal. <laughs> yeah, it's a video game. Like it, it's it's a game yeah, that's mm, aware yeah, that it's a game yeah. in, in the sense that it's impossible to even imagine Isaac Clark stumbling across like a, a gotcha machine or something and like putting in special coins that he collects or in, in a game right, and right, winning. Right. Right. trophies like that just would never fit into the world of dead space which is so yeah. much more serious and and grounded in a sci-fi reality but this game 
and Resident Evil generally just isn't and never really can be, I don't think. It's not interested in that. It's funnier than that. Right. Well, it, there's there's a, something that the Metal Gear games do where they yeah. give you tutorials in world where they'll say, a character will say to you, press the left button to aim and, you know, press the right stick to crouch. Like, Snake, press the stop button to get into your inventory, whatever. And, like, it's people, like, expressly talking to you about video game controls, which I don't think Resident Evil does, but it's the same. It's that same kind of thing where the game, it seems to be acknowledging mm-hmm. its gaminess at various points. I, I'm glad you brought up Metal Gear because I feel like there are a lot of common points between Metal Gear and Resident Evil. And in fact, it, it strikes me what you guys are talking about as just a very Japanese sensibility. It's something that you see in a lot of Japanese games where it's just kind of like this game plays by its own rules and you just have to kind of go for the ride and I've always really enjoyed that about Japanese games I mean one that comes to mind immediately is like the Mario series where in Super Mario World which I think is kind of the iconic example of this there are just all these rules and you learn the rules and none of them make any sense but they just exist like the Mm -hmm. mushroom makes you big and the cape makes you or and the feather gives you a cape but also So, like, if you hit this block a certain way, it'll do this. But if you hit it another way, it'll do something else. And they're just kind of all these, like, established rules. And taken to a game like Resident Evil 4 or any of the Metal Gear or Resident Evil games, they're less cartoony, but they play by similar rule sets where they kind of, they make sense within their own world. Like, yes, of course, there's this merchant who pops up and is never really explained and is just wearing a cloak and who knows how he gets all his weapons, but he'll sell them to you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, this game, well, and this game has a lot in common, in particular with Metal Gear Solid 3, which came mm-hmm. out a year before it in 2004. It feels similar, like the narrative setup feels very similar in MGS3, where Snake is sort of given a very brief little briefing right at the beginning, and then you're kind mm-hmm. of in the thick of it, and you're on mm-hmm. a kind of recon rescue mission at the beginning. And even the way that, I mean, in this game, you're walking around, you can eat animals to get more health you're hunting snakes at one point there are vipers that you're Uh like shooting uh so uh it does kind of have uh have a lot of commonality that's true and also to take it one step further there are rumblings that there's a metal gear solid 3 remake coming that Um, would rule man and that's actually another game from this area that i've started and played kind of a significant amount of but never finished even though i know everyone says it's so so amazing well so that's the best game in terms of structure and story and if that had metal gear solid 5's gameplay which hopefully this remake has then it would be the best game for sure (sighs) because five of the best gameplay but anyway so um, maddie you talking about the outskirts stuff made me wonder like would a metal gear solid 3 remake like remove some of the kind of (laughs) like look like uh uh, what do you call it? Oh, I see. <laughs> lewd, yeah. lewd depictions of women, kind of know. camera upskirt shots. That's ogling camera. Yeah, mm. ogling cameras. I guess we'd have to ask Kojima that. <laughs> well, and and also Kojima probably wouldn't be involved. Well, Kojima right? wouldn't be involved. Yeah. Kojima's yeah, yeah, not that's true. Yeah, what am I saying? We could ask Kojima, yeah. but it doesn't matter what he thinks. Yeah, it doesn't matter what he thinks. Well, he he is yeah. Man. Is his own right, well, that'll be a can of worms that we'll get to <laughs> yeah, we'll get whenever to that we get when to we it. Get yeah, to yeah, yeah. I just it's it's not something we have an answer for. It's just something that got me thinking, and it's funny yeah, that sure. like that like um, assuming this is real, which I think it is. Uh, the fact that we're getting the Resident a Resident Evil Four remake, a Dead Space remake, and a Metal Gear Solid Three remake all within a couple of years. Yeah, and we. I mean, it's different year, but the Metroid Prime Remastered remake came from two thousand two. No, right, I mean, for it, sure. I does Same feel era. like that it is era. the season for two thousands yep. era games to come back around. Yeah. And be played by for the first time by a lot of people who 
didn't know what they were like in their original form. That's really cool. I love to see right. it just from a game preservation point of view. Oh, it's yeah. Really cool. Yeah. There's something to that, like to the fact that the games of this era are still really fun if they're just tweaked a little bit. I mean, this game plays pretty similarly to mm-hmm. how I but remember Resident Evil 4 now when you playing. aim. Yes, like there and it's yeah. a little That's like huge. the aiming is different. Is you don't have difference. the yeah. you don't have the laser pointer. You know, there there are just sort of like differences in the mechanics of it, but it's it's still both I mean, the feel of playing it, that feeling where I don't know, that first encounter is a great example, the one that you're playing through Jason where it really throws you into the deep end. I think it's yeah. one of the great mm-hmm. intros to a game ever. Leon walks into this town. He's already dealt with a couple of zombies. You know things are going to be bad. You can kind of sneak up a little bit. But then pretty soon you get detected and the villagers start chasing you. And then you realize you're kind of in this bowl with some buildings. And you can run around the edges of the bowl, but you can't get out. Mm-hmm. And you're overwhelmed by people. You have almost no ammunition. There's a shotgun in one building if you find it. But it's, you know, you may basically have to keep moving. And then this chainsaw guy shows up and he'll just totally kill you if he gets you and it winds up being this extremely stressful time trial you just have to outlast them like you, i think you can kill the mm-hmm. chainsaw guy but the guy. first time around you don't know that like if, if you, the first time <laughs> the first around, time around I didn't you get know. killed <laughs> <laughs> yeah it you feel like you're supposed to yeah. just kind of like uproot in place and especially right. i remember the first time i ever played it when i was yeah. playing and you can't move while attacking so yep. you're kind of like okay gotta stand in one place then you're like oh wait a minute i can't actually be this I right there are running. so many people yeah. right yeah yeah it's it's very mm-hmm. it's very yeah I, I agree with you that it's a very good way to set the tone for the game although i will say that more of the game from what i remember is more action yeah. and less like running around so yeah maybe almost it none really of it the feels like that <laughs> yeah. initial maybe it 30 to 45 minutes so in that uh-huh. sense it's a great opening for the game but it doesn't set the tone yeah in the, sense, like, the entire right, rest of the tone that. Is completely different. Which is like kind of okay <laughs> because that's pretty stressful. And if the whole game were that oh, stressful, God, I might yeah. find it too intense. Like I do like the general rhythm of exploration, some combat. But it, it is true that like that sequence, I mean, I think everyone just remembers that sequence because you almost always get killed by the chainsaw guy the first time you play it. The animation when Leon gets his head cut off or whatever by the chainsaw is so mm-hmm. graphic and you're so freaked out. And then, you know, you realize you have to go back and do it again and mm-hmm. risk that again. And yeah, I, this game is kind of at its best when you're having to run away. And that might be how I feel about Resident Evil in general. It's weird because I I find it really stressful. But also, like I'm thinking back on Resident Evil 2. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that, I, that I, I'm finding that game, so far at least, I feel like I liked that experience more, is because it's a lot of the sort of one building, unlocking the building, you know, in the Metroid kind of thing, mm-hmm. exploring, finding new keys, going back, backtracking. Like, you're in this big police station in Resident Evil 2, and you're just constantly there. And also, because it's structured with two protagonists, Leon and Claire, you get to go through it at different times, and it's like you really see this one area in a really cool way. And this Resident Evil 4 is totally not doing that. And mm-hmm. I do kind of prefer that approach. But then also, Resident Evil 2 breaks that up with Mr. X, with this other kind of game design idea that isn't really present here, except, you know, I mean, the chainsaw guy kind of functions as a heavy that pushes you around and that you can technically kill, but you can't really. But they don't have a thing where there's like this procedurally intelligent, artificial intelligent, you know, 
monster that you can't stop that just hunts you at various mm-hmm. points. And I found that really stressful in Resident Evil 2, but when I think back on it, it's such an integral part of the game and the whole experience of constantly being chased by him, then running into him as Leon, if you played as Claire, then finally at the end you get to really fight him and you finally kill him and he like won't die and it's so satisfying. Mm-hmm. Like All of that is just really memorable in a way that I'm not quite finding anything in Resident Evil 4, at least not yet. Yeah, yeah. Resident Evil 4 I think is a very different type of game. It's more of an yeah. adventure, I think, mm-hmm. than the other Resident evil games it's more of a like okay i'm going on this journey from like like to this manor to this lake to this quarry thing like mm-hmm. it's a lot more of just kind of exploring and yeah. going f- moving propelling yourself forward as opposed to kind of backtracking and exploring and maneuvering around one one big space yeah and it was also notably less scary i mean i keep saying that but it's mm-hmm. because it's the criticism no, it's that people absolutely true yeah leveled against well, it at the they're time. one in the same like yeah you know, an adventure just kind of inherently and uh, like uh, tight spaces are a lot scarier than yeah. like going out into the wilderness and exploring a dark mansion mm-hmm. or a dark police station the lights are flickering you don't know what's around the next corner like when you're in that right. big village that we're talking about with the chainsaw man coming at you it is daylight you can mm-hmm. see him coming like yes it's still stressful but like almost every fight that you have in this game after that very first cabin that i described where leon shows off his spanish speaking skills is in an (laughs) open area where you can see the zombies coming and like that makes such Mm -hmm. a huge difference for me in terms of scariness levels there aren't the jump scares of like the the uh dead space corridors there aren't no there isn't the same level of just feeling like there's no way out that I always have when I play like the first Resident Evil where it's like, well, it's all just this one house and I'm supposed to investigate it. Ah, I got to explore mm-hmm. every room. Are you sure I can't leave some of these uh, closed on up? Because I don't think <laughs> I don't like what I'm hearing. Like that feeling, it just it's not really in Resident Evil 4. There is one really good jump scare in the remake where right after the section we're talking about, the opening action sequence, these bells ring and then all the villagers just leave. Yeah. And then I believe this is an addition. You're just exploring and going through all the buildings to, you know, pick up all the loot that you left lying around because you were running so frantically. And a dude busts out of a of a cat of like a closet he's been hiding in. And it's just one of the zombies. But it's because you're totally, you were so, you know, kind of pumped up and then you're mm-hmm. feeling this relief and then it's like, ah, this guy jumps out. And it's like a very funny <laughs> joke at anyone who played the original because if you play the original, that doesn't happen. So you're not expecting it at all. And it's kind of the, the kind of jump scare you can only do in a remake where you can play on people's expectations because they know it's coming. But yes, I That's agree funny. with you that the, the level design in general is very empowering and allows you to move around. And it's a completely different energy than especially that feeling of in the RE2 remake, mm-hmm. Mr. X's feet on the ground when you're yeah. waiting in a safe room and you hear like, boom, 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 as he stomps around and you're like, I don't really know where he is. You hear a door open. You're like, okay, I think that was the door on this floor. So I'm going to try to go downstairs. And you really don't know because it's not scripted. You can't even read a walkthrough Mm -hmm. that tells you, you know, what to expect. So yeah, that doesn't really happen in this game. And yeah, Jason, it's true. It's just, it's kind of a forward adventure. I mean, there's the part on the lake where you're kind of going back to places you return to a lot of the areas you've been to before. But it just doesn't have that same feeling of a building that is, you know, one of those classic Resident Evil buildings with right. the locks everywhere and the statues that eventually open a door that's a shortcut that leads back around and the basement that you finally get to that's actually a whole underground lab or whatever else. It's sure. just not not really <laughs> the same. Even though, I mean, it it has a continuity. The space does have a continuity. You see the castle sitting there mm-hmm. the whole game when you're on the lake. It has that kind of feeling actually 
like a Souls game as well, where you're like doubling back and you're realizing, oh, okay, that castle, like I'm going to go there. Oh, that building over there that I saw earlier, the windmill that I could see. Oh, that's that windmill that I went to. Like it does have that continuity. It mm-hmm. just doesn't unlock in that metroid way. Mm-hmm. And you can also run away, like in a Souls game, which I feel like is is a pretty mm. different sensation as well. And like you can kind of build up your resources in a different way. I mean, it's much more of an, an adventure game. But I think that's also why people see Resident Evil 4 as so groundbreaking, because at the time, it was the res- maybe the only Resident Evil game that you played if you didn't like scary games. This might have been the one that got you on the mm-hmm. hook. But then also, it was pretty influential on what an action shooter could be and how open it could be because although I feel like yes it feels much more like an open world in this version the original version I think had even more backtracking I could be wrong but this one it's like I already kind of know where everything is so right, right. it just feels yeah silly. yeah no I think you're right about that I also think the one one of one of the aspects of it that I think was revolutionary at the time from what I remember was a lot of the cinematic action stuff and the kind yeah. of like blendless like seamless blending from action to to cutscene and then the mm-hmm. QTEs and stuff a lot of that got really popular to the point where like everyone got sick of QTEs yeah um, and I don't think Resident <laughs> Evil 4 was of course not the first game to do no. QTEs by any means but, but there's barely any in the remake which is great because I well, don't like well, them well yes <laughs> yeah, when they happen, I don't um, but also but but in general Resident Evil 4 was like one of those games where you're like oh man this is doing some really cool new stuff with cinematography and the way that like cutscenes and action are blended together Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk a little more about its legacy. There, Mike Mahardy wrote this article that we can link in show notes that was just a kind of a nice rundown of all of the different games that have drawn from Resident Evil. And it's kind of interesting to think about what they take and what they don't take. Like, I, you know, we were talking already about the idea of, you know, a usually male protagonist with a female ward who's like the young woman he has to protect. Like, that definitely became a thing. And and, um, and then you even see it in God of War, mm-hmm. which I believe they, the developers of that were also talked some about Resident Evil 4 and the influence that that had on them, where, you know, Kratos is walking around with Atreus the whole time. Mm-hmm. And you kind of, it builds in a storytelling mechanism because... In the downtime, the characters can be walking and having a yeah. conversation and you can get character development without having to do a cutscene or having to, you know, break things up, which then you just see in, I mean, so many games, like open world games, Red Dead Redemption, every every quest in Red Dead Redemption 2, you're with some friend, you're with somebody, like that idea of two characters having a conversation is uh, is now like so commonplace, but I don't know that it was in 2004, like or 2005. Because okay, so another 2004 game that we have all played is Half Life Two, mm-hmm. which I do think I should mention because Half Life Two is very similar to Resident Evil Four. There's actually almost no backtracking in Half Life Two, but it has that same kind of rhythm where. You feel them turning the levers and, okay, now we're going to be, you know, we're going to solve a puzzle here. But, oh, surprise, it's actually going to be an action sequence. And now, the, oh, it's going to really be an action sequence. We're cranking up the pressure. you got to move, move, move. And then it's like, oh, we're going to explore a little bit. Things are going to calm down. And um, that was just one year before. But you play as a silent protagonist. And all of your sequences, even where you're hanging out with Alex Vance, she's talking, but you're not. And you're not even getting that same dynamic that you get with Leon and Ashley. And then, of mm-hmm. course, with whatever Joel and Ellie and, and Elizabeth and yeah. Booker, whoever else. Yeah, yeah, that part is an interesting parallel. I didn't even really 
think about, but it's true. Like there is a lot of storytelling that can kind of happen on the go. And I, mm-hmm. I also remember I always really liked the idea that Ada was on her own mission that you don't yeah. know anything about, which my only other comparison point I can think of is um, Ocarina of Time, like Zelda's Sheik, yeah. situation in that game. Mm-hmm. Ada kind of reminds me of that in this one. And I feel like now it's so common that it doesn't even stand out anymore. But at the time, I thought it was so cool that there would be these characters that you'd run into. And Luis is a little bit like this, too. And you don't put together what they're up to until much later. I mean, yes, the mystery could certainly be more riveting than it is. Is it really any big surprise that the Umbrella mm-hmm. Corporation is involved in something in a <laughs> Resident Evil game? Not really. But nonetheless, I, I still liked the idea of like, oh, you never know when this character is going to show up and advance some part of the story and they have their own motivations. And to have that storytelling device on top of the just relaxed conversations between you and Ashley was or just a cool technique that I think a lot of other games probably took inspiration from, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ada is in Resident Evil 2 Remake as well and is a highlight in that game too. And it's the same idea. It's the same feeling where it's just kind of cool that this secret agent lady turns up. You play as her a little bit, uh, just long enough to kind of get a sense of her as a very different character and her relationship with Leon, you know, mm-hmm. is, is kind of established in that game. And I I glimpsed her in, I guess it was in a Luis scene maybe in... um in the remake, but I haven't gotten to her yet, where I know she and Leon cross paths again. And then I think what she becomes playable in later games, I can't ever, I can never There's remember. There's a DLC that is heavily okay. rumored to be made as a remake version. I mean, it was a DLC for the original game about Leon and oh, Ada okay, okay. that is Got now it. rumored to be something that they would make in remake form which would be mm-hmm, cool mm-hmm. to see but i mean you know there's other games with ada in them too it's not like yeah. there's only like six people in the resident evil universe and they all know <laughs> each other true. for some reason yeah do you think they're gonna keep remaking resident evil games i don't know because five is uh not a game anyone wants to see them try to remake well I, i've seen people say that they want that like you know there's a there's endless forum threads talking about some some stuff they gotta fix i mean i well right <laughs> they would need to do some rewrites probably mm-hmm. it is it is often maligned i mean not just it's you know people have talked about how racist the premise of it is and i i mean i also didn't really like it at the time because i just thought it was really boring it's like the worst impulses of re4 because mm-hmm. it's just purely zombie cleanup duty and the idea what's, of what's the premise remind us what the it's premise like is of okay what if umbrella corporation experimented on people who live in an unnamed part of sub-saharan africa and then also that experiment led them to suddenly start wearing grass skirts whereas otherwise prior yeah. to the experiment they weren't wearing any of those outfits and they become quote unquote savage suddenly and that's that's all the enemies that you have to fight it's it's a rough go i (laughs) i don't know how you fix that one because it's and it's not scary like that is not a scary premise to me it's just an upsetting one in the sense that racism is scary but uh other than that It's yeah, it picks up a lot of a lot of the uh, same idea. I mean, it's a lot like Resident Evil Four. It just yes. puts it in a much more charged and right. you know clearly racist setting, where it kind of implies like, oh, these black characters would inherently devolve mm-hmm. into this inhuman version of themselves and would have this weird baked in memory of wanting to wear grass skirts. I mean, the implications 
are numerous are, and are not, not great. And <laughs> and it's a co-op game, which is yes, also unusual. Is. So the whole it game is. can be played by two people, which was also divisive at the time. And was kind of it's really interesting the way that Dead Space mirrored the trajectory yeah. of Resident or of Resident Evil, where basically Dead Space One, they describe it as like Resident Evil Four, but it actually does feel like Resident Evil Two remake. It has mm-hmm. it's more horror-y, it's more scary. Then Dead Space Two is kind of more like Resident Evil Four. It's the aliens to um, Dead Space 1's mm-hmm. Alien. Less scary, more action. Right. And then they did a co-op one that everyone hated, which is kind of true of Resident Evil 5, too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's been interesting to see the end of what might be the end of the road for these remakes with Resident Evil 4, because it's the one that needed a remake the least, just in terms of the gameplay. It feels the most modern, and especially considering how revolute like, Resident Evil 2 Remake and Resident Evil 3 Remake, I mean, those games look completely different. Like, they're, like, not Mm -hmm. even over-the-shoulder action games, so they're remade to be totally different and kind of like Resident Evil 4 originally was. So it's an interesting question. Just either, like, both that they... Would they want to tackle the premise and... (laughs) And all of that with Resident Evil 5, the co-op nature of it. Like, you can't just remake the game without making it a co-op game again. Mm -hmm. And I'd be really surprised if they did that because at the time, what was it, 2009? Is that right? Something like that. Yeah, 2009. That was like when... Army of Two had come out. Like it was when yeah, there was Gears this kind of, of push. Well, of course, Gears of War. One, we didn't mention it, but one of them very influenced by Resident Evil Four mm-hmm. uh, series is is um, Gears of War, which also was playable in co op. So that era was very like, okay, we're going to get our Xbox 360s and we're going to play uh, split screen co op, and that's just not really a thing anymore. So mm-hmm. that's also an open question of like, what would they even do? But it seems like they want to unite this part of Resident Evil with the modern, the new games that they're making. Yeah, so. I mean, I've seen a lot of people s- suggest that maybe they would remake Resident Evil 1 or Code Veronica and just sort of mm. fill out some of the other Resident Evil stories that haven't been made into over-the-shoulder action shooters in the same way. And I right. think that might be a better direction to go because those games are a lot more beloved <laughs> than right. Resident Evil 5 or 6, which we haven't haven't really gotten to i haven't played it but i know it is yeah, also i barely played it and that's like super action-packed super yeah. linear like almost feels like like more like gears of war or something like just mm-hmm. doesn't really have anything to do with resident evil and also really crazy story i think like it's, yeah i think some stuff happens and that doesn't the president become a zombie in that one and leon oh boy, shoots him so. in the head that or sounds something great. <laughs> that sounds great I think that happens but in, then i know like resident R-A-6. evil 7 is like the return to form it's set in a house i mean other things happen in that game but it starts in a house and it's very you know mm-hmm. scary in the way that resident evil 1 is scary where you're just walking around a house and you're like what the heck is going on with the people who live yeah. here like just a deep-rooted human fear that you have going into these right. kinds of games and since then, I, I feel like Resident Evil has been back on track. So it is kind of funny that now the remakes have caught up to the the quick spell of everybody being kind of annoyed at Resident Evil. And well, right. And it's, I mean, the new ones also, like Resident Evil 7, I love the first half of that game. And then it starts to become more Umbrella Corporation-y. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. then they did a whole DLC with Chris Redfield. So they're bringing back characters where what was cool about RE7 was just that it felt like a standalone horror game about this cursed Southern Gothic, like, 
house and this family who like were had horrible worms running through them and couldn't be killed. And then as it became more of a Resident Evil thing, you switch characters, you have like a submachine gun, you're on some ship. It just is way less cool. Yeah. And Resident Evil 8, for all of its charms, I really liked that game a lot, felt a little like a remixed greatest hits of a lot of the past Resident Evil games and also was very, very, you know, it had a lot of stuff where they're talking about Wesker and what's mm-hmm. going on with Umbrella yeah, Corporation with and whatever else. So I don't know. Some people it, it, are really into that lore, man. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of it's, fun, and it's, it's hard way. to know where else you can take it at this point. Yeah, because it, it's right. It's like the end of the original Saints Row series, where even the creators were like, "We've done it all. We don't know what to do anymore. Know. We need." To we made a musical. It. We're out of ideas. Maybe the Resident Evil musical. Is oh yeah, out. what am I saying? It's going to be a Resident Evil That's, musical. It's going to be a. And then be a musical, they can pack sure. it in. <laughs> Right. I guess they'll keep making these as long as people keep buying them. And people keep buying them as long as they keep being fun. And Resident Evil 4 Remake really is a lot of fun. I Like you, Maddie, I plan to finish it. Um, I've had a really great time with it so far. It's just a fun video game to play. So yeah, that's uh, that's Resident Evil 4 Remake. We'll, uh, I guess we'll be here. Man, I hope they make Metal Gear Solid 3. But we'll oh. be here when they remake or attempt to remake. Let's say Code Veronica. That would be cool because they've that never played cool. that one. Yeah, I hope yeah. they do. They should do Resident Evil Code Veronica Mars. And just... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, really extraneous part of the Resident Evil lore, but you know, turns out it's all connected. I'd play it. <laughs> all right, let's take a break, and we'll be back with one more thing. With Max Fun Drive in the books, we'd like to welcome our new members and say thanks to everyone who's supported us over the years. Welcome. Thanks. And now, on to the sticker sale. A lot of this year's drive gifts and live streams focused on food. We love how food can bring communities together, but not everyone has access to the food they need. So we'll split the proceeds from our sticker sale among five U.S. food banks in areas disproportionately affected by poverty. The sale ends Friday, April 14th. Members at the $10 monthly level and above can purchase any stickers they'd like. There's also a special Max Fun sticker featuring Nutsy the Squirrel that all members can purchase. For more info, head to MaximumFun.org slash sticker sale. And thanks again for your support. A man was walking along a beach which represented his life. At his feet were two sets of footprints, his and God's. But looking back down the beach, the man could see that in the hardest parts of his life, there was only one set of footprints. So the man said to God, why is there only one set of footprints when times were hard? Where were you? And God replied, my precious child, I was in my car, listening to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is a multi-award-winning comedy podcast, and you can find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back for one more thing. Jason, how about you go first? All right. Over the weekend, I finished a video game called The Legend of Heroes Trails from Zero. Um, I've talked about this last year because it was one of my favorite games last year, but now I finally finished it because the sequel to it, Trail Legend of Heroes Trails to Azure, just came out. And so you got to finish this one before you can jump into the sequel because they're very much like a part one and part two type of thing. So, okay, um, here's what's really interesting <laughs> about Trails from Zero. Um, And I don't know if it'll be interesting enough to get either of you to play it, but certainly some readers out there might be interested. So Trails from Zero is a kind of turn-based JRPG in the Trails series that I've talked about for a long time. 
Um, it's kind of it's set between Trails in the Sky, which came out a long time ago, and Trails of Cold Steel, which is a little more modern. And it it's more it's two D rather than the three D of Cold Steel, so it looks a little more like an old school like PS one slash PS two era. Mm-hmm. JRPG. I think it first came out in 2010. And what's really interesting to me about it is that whereas Trails in the Sky and really a lot of JRPGs was um, about going on an adventure where you are going from city to city and to different dungeons and meeting new people along the way and getting a cast of new characters and who cycle in and out of your party and so on and so forth. This game is set in one big city called Crossbell and it oh. stars four main characters who don't leave your party. Dragon Age 2 approach to stay in your party the entire time and instead of just kind of like going on an adventure across the world you play as these kind of this what's called the special support section a group of cops who are kind of like in their own world and free to operate from the corruption that's in the actual uh police force and you go out on these little adventures to kind of save the city and and save people and help people out in the city. And uh, over the course of the game, you gradually discover that there's all sorts of corruption and horrible stuff going on behind the scenes in the city, drug trading and mafia um, crimes and uh, eventually uh, human trafficking and all sorts of other crazy stuff. Um, and it really it culminates in this kind of epic fight where you're defending the city and like you go around from place to place and you have to fight off enemies and stuff. And it's all really cool. It, it ends in a really cool place and I'm really excited to play through the sequel. But what's really interesting is just playing a JRPG that is built this way. You mentioned Dragon Age 2, Kirk. Um, similar vibes in some ways, although this is this is not just <laughs> kind of developed <laughs> in 18 months like super speed. Right. And so I had to cut corners or anything. This is like a fully fought out thought out game um what's really interesting is that like uh in these in all these games the npcs have names and personalities and ongoing storylines and in this game you can really get to know them and you can get to know the city the city is massive and dense it's like 20 different screens and you kind of get to know how everything connects as you play and where everything is and you can go between pretty much every cutscene, go talk to everybody and they'll all have different lines of dialogue i couldn't bring myself to do this every single time but if you like are the type of person who is like you know i just want to spend like the next 80 hours of my life just jumping into this jrpg and spending every possible minute doing every side quest and talking to every npc uh and 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 seeing how they evolve you will get a lot out of it because uh this game Mm. is really really intricate and really meticulous in how it just like keeps giving everybody new things to say and new new storylines and if you like really track all the npcs they all like have ongoing stories that they talk about um that that are just really interesting and so i have really enjoyed it even though i did not do uh, all of that i did not go around between each quest talking to every single npc in the city still enjoyed it still enjoyed and appreciated the richness of the world and especially watching the story kind of like zoom out and become this grand scale thing uh, of course you liked watching the story zoom out that's, that's <laughs> i did i like your to kind zoom of story of mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. and anyway really enjoyed it looking forward to playing trails to azure the sequel, which just came out a couple of weeks ago. Very cool. excited. Nice. I still have to finish Octopath 2, so I probably won't you get to do. it, but that you sounds should, great. You should stick to Octopath 2. That I will. Well, there's you. another JRPG I now have to finish that, uh, mm-hmm. that we'll talk about at some point here, but there's there's always JRPGs to finish. I always, always think about when you talk about a single city game about, I know Tim Schafer mentioned this, but I can't remember whether it was his idea or where he was crediting someone else with the idea. This is when we talked to him at GDC a while ago. The idea of the dream game where it's a city block 
and that's the whole game. Yeah, that's Warren Spector's. Oh, game. yeah, maybe yeah, it's yeah. Warren Spector's that's idea. And I think Spector Tim maybe classic, referenced right? it. Yeah, yes. where it's like, what if there was just a city block, but it was a whole city block that it was actually mm-hmm. as dense as a city block really is, and the whole game just takes place there. One day, right? Because the the single city game is the same kind of idea, just it always never quite feels complete because you know you don't. You can't go into every single house. You can't mm-hmm. meet every single person. Yeah, I mean, Disco Elysium might be the closest we've seen to that so far. Yeah, yeah, it's getting there. Like it, it at times feels that way. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. Anyway, uh, Maddie, what's your one more thing? Uh, mine is a visual novel that I started playing called Misery Chord. It's volume one, and I haven't gotten mm-hmm. to the end of it yet. But I can already tell I'm going to be upset. The volume two is not yet available. <laughs> uh, so let me spell misery chord because I had never heard this word before. M-I-S-E-R-I-C-O-R-D-E. So if you played Elden Ring, you might know misery chord is the name of one of the blades in there. But mm. it's also the name of a room in a convent where the nuns are allowed to party. It's like that's the name of that room. <laughs> what? Oh, <Yeah>. interesting. Wow. <laughs> and okay. this wow. game... The Wait, so there's one room where Yeah, the there's one room party? where they're allowed to, like, eat meat and, like, things they're not supposed to eat the rest oh, of the man. time. Oh, man, interesting. And, like, okay. Okay. you know, really? play games with each other. Yeah, supposedly. So this is a historical fiction murder mystery that is set in a convent in 1482. Oh, <laughs> and uh, if people played Pentiment or they're, like, a little familiar with it, you might remember there's a character in Pentiment called the Anchoress. And there's an anchoress mm-hmm. in this game, which is why I'm I'm using that as a point of comparison, because I had never even heard of this before Pentiment. And now this game, I'm like, yeah, sure. I know all about what an anchoress does. <laughs> but let's say you don't, because you play as the anchoress in this game. So you start out, well, the very first scene in the game actually isn't set in the convent. So I won't spoil that. But then eventually you start playing as the anchoress. And you are locked in a room where all you are supposed to do is pray and read the Bible. And other people can come up to your room and they can look through a little tiny sliver and talk to you, but you can't see them and they can't see you. And all they can do is ask you for advice and you can give totally unbiased advice because your entire job in life is to read the Bible and interpret it for other people. And that's it. So you play as this character, but then there's a murder at the convent and Mother Superior drags you out of there mm, and insists mm. that you are the only person who could solve this case because she's like every single one no of us ties is a suspect. Yeah. But right. also you kind of know all of us because you've been mm. talking to all of us this whole time. And you kind of know Great the premise. murder victim, too, as it happens. Yeah. You meet her, meet, quote unquote, her early on in the game. And so then you're actually pretty sad when she dies. So I won't spoil that either. But this murder mystery it's not a choice-based game. It's not like Danganronpa. It's, there's no choice at all. It's purely visual novel. You're just clicking through. But that doesn't mean it's not ridiculously thrilling. And like the cast of characters is delightful, almost entirely female cast, of course, because this is a convent we're talking about here. But there are a couple mm-hmm. male characters on the periphery. They're all murder suspects. They're delightful, hilarious creepy i don't know whether magic is real in this game yet (laughs) people see visions sometimes i don't know i'm really really into the writing and i guess i shouldn't be surprised because this game is actually a one-person show it's made by zc they are one of the two hosts of shrieking shack which is the harry potter podcast that kirk and i have talked about over and over and over again and zc has been working on this game for years and they're still working on volume two of the game I don't know. It's just freaking great. So I really recommend it. It's called Misery Chord. 
I love murder mysteries and I love this game. And when is volume two supposed to come out? Because this sounds really interesting, but I don't want to play it until the whole thing is out. I know, right? <laughs> I I don't know. I I've been now become a backer of ZC's Patreon purely because I will get an an earlier copy of oh, volume nice. two. That nice. was enough to get me to subscribe. I was like, sure. I wow. want volume Hooked. two immediately. Uh, so <laughs> that's it. We have to we have to ape that one. We have to be like, yeah, we got to we got to get people wanting us like. in immediately come on that's uh-huh, probably uh-huh. how people feel when they subscribe right that's how i feel sure. anyway uh, i don't know when it's going to be out when when they finish it that's the answer mm. nice that's very exciting um that i, I want to play that for sure mm-hmm. is there do you do any guessing like we have a moment where you can guess who the murderer is or is it really just kind of in your head you're of course i don't interacting know. with it in that way but you kind of it just kind of plays out i don't know i mean i have certainly some suspicions against certain characters but i don't think you the player ever get to make those guesses and instead you just tag along with this uh character who you're playing as while she makes guesses in her own mind as to what she thinks is going on and she's a very compelling character so i'm definitely enjoying it so far yeah i will play that for sure that's a great a great setup for a story well, my one more thing is actually was a movie that Maddie watched. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, watched Before this. I say my one more thing, though, I want to – there's one link that I just want to shout out for everyone related to my one more thing from last week, which was Kim Stanley Robinson's novel, uh, The Ministry for the Future. There is a really, really good interview that he did with Ezra Klein in 2020. This is when Ezra Klein's show was still on Vox, and now it's called something else. It's like Sean Elling's podcast, which I'm sure is great, but you can still go listen to it. It just looks like it's called a different show now. It's not called The Ezra Klein Show. Anyways, I'll put a link for it in show notes. If you do read the book, I saw a lot of people saying they were thinking about reading it or that they'd read it. It's a lot to process and think about, and you'll really want to talk to people about it and think about it more. Listen to this interview. It's so good. Like, it's an amazing interview to listen to after reading the book. Kim Stanley Robinson is amazing. All I want to do is, like, talk to that guy for an hour, but it's the next best thing. So, anyways, link for that in the show notes for anyone who's read that book. My one more thing is a movie called Tar that I finally watched over the weekend. Great. That, Maddie, I know you had seen and that your uh, your description of it made me more interested in watching it. You described it, if I recall correctly, as being not really a movie about a powerful, famous woman being canceled, but more <laughs> of a strange kind of horror story about a person who is just falling apart and mm-hmm. um, a more of an uncanny film than you've been expecting. So I went in kind of knowing that it wasn't going to be what I had also assumed it was based on just some very surface level like headline reading I'd done. And yeah, what a movie. This is, I loved the movie. Um, I was so compelled by it. I'm, I spent the whole weekend talking to my sister about it. Mm-hmm. It's very much a movie that I recommend seeing with somebody else because yeah, then you could it doesn't, talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't do the work for you at all. It's not really interested in telling you what it's trying to say. Yeah, It just says it very confidently and clearly <laughs> and you walk away from it just being like, wow, like, okay, I got to start thinking about the structure of this story about this character this incredible performance by Kate Blanchett holy mm-hmm. crap she like learned german and how to play piano for this she embodies lydia tar this protagonist to recap very quickly you because maddie already talked about it it's the story of lydia tar who is at the beginning of the film on top of the world of art she is the director of the berlin philharmonic the conductor of the berlin philharmonic she's she an is EGOT a composer winner. an egot it begins with this amazing, extremely lengthy New Yorker interview um, being conducted on stage where you learn everything about her and you see her just in total command of the world. And then these cracks begin to appear in her facade. They're there from the beginning, but they become 
thicker and thicker and more and more evident throughout the story of the people she's harmed, the versions of herself that she's cast aside and the identity that she's built and the lies of her life. And you kind of watch this person fall apart. And as that happens, the movie becomes more and more uncanny Mm -hmm. and also more rushed. I think it's actually really interesting to think of this movie almost like a piece of music where it begins with this lengthy adagio sequence where it's this interview that goes on for 20 minutes or something. They're just talking and it's so in control and her voice and her presence and she's completely empowered. And then there's this really lengthy, I believe, one shot classroom sequence where she's giving a master class at Juilliard that's pretty excruciating because she's like humiliating this student but then also engaging with them and like it's like she wins them over but then blows it by going too far and it's Mm -hmm. like this really long like amazing acting basically between two characters but again Mm -hmm. a really long sequence this one take and then the movie starts to compress and her world starts to fall apart and cracks become bigger and bigger and things get weirder and weirder. And soon it's like this journey almost into the uncanny. It begins to feel like a dream. And there's even a point in the story at which a lot of people think it really just breaks with reality. And maybe even either is a dream or like dream logic just becomes inserted into the film in a way. So I want to reference or recommend for anyone who's seen this movie, Dan Coyce at Slate wrote a really good article um, about the ending and it's his interpretation of just sort of that those aspects of it, the uncanny aspects. And he he does a really good job of not saying, well, nothing in the second, you know, the third act of this movie happened, (laughs) but more just this movie breaks with reality in a way that allows you to question what you're seeing and brings you inside of the psyche of the protagonist in a way that is just really provocative and ambiguous throughout the ending. And you kind of just have to sit with that ambiguity. Ambiguity, As he puts it, it's not a puzzle box. It's not like you can be like, oh, well, there's that thing in the background of that one scene Mm -hmm. that answers the question. Oh, well, her name is spelled this way and that means this. There's no solution. It's like the opposite of that kind of satisfaction. Because you leave the movie being like, I don't know what I think of any of this. I, I, right. Ah. <laughs> yeah. It's so, and it's one that you really just will want to talk to people about. Maddie, I want to talk to you about it too. Yeah. I figured you'd like all the music references and Man, probably yeah. pick up on more of the music school, like posturing and just the way that that works far more than I ever would. I just felt stressed out. I was just like, I, it's pretty I, I stressful. I mean, <laughs> I went to jazz school, which jazz school is very different than classical, like going to Juilliard to study but conducting. I'm sure is, there's still posturing involved and still, you know, there condescending is, there is. professors and so on. Yeah, but that world is different. And mm-hmm. really, just to shout out Todd Field, the writer and director, this is his first yeah. movie in 16 years. His last movie was 2006's uh, Little Children, which I saw, and I've never seen In the Bedroom, which I know is a fantastic movie. And this is his third movie. So he's just, for more than a decade, didn't make a movie. And then he wrote this one, apparently with Kate Blanchett in mind, and he was like, if I can't get her for this movie, I'm not making it. It mm-hmm. has to be her. And she found out about it and read the script and I think was like, hell yeah, I'm down. And they made this totally wild movie that like is just, I don't know, I really thought it was it was amazing. A tour de force, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and really recommend people watch it because uh, it's fascinating. So anyway, that's my one more thing. Before cool. we get going, uh, Kirk, you got me thinking. I think EGOT needs to include Game Award. What should it be? It's true because Lydia Tarr... She well, hasn't won a game. Well, she might. Well, you know, yet. She might. She might. You know spoil anything. <laughs> <laughs> she might win a game award though. Just based on some things that oh happen. Oh my god, Jason! That, um, you don't know. That people who have seen the movie will be laughing. I do know. I heard about. It is. Oh, okay, okay. Well, we won't spoil anybody, but that that would be very funny if maybe she became an egotga. But that is a good point, Jason. 
people can now <laughs> they can strive to be Igakas. You're not really you haven't Igaka. really made it unless you've also won a game award. That's right. Yep. Well, that was it. We did it. We made an episode. There we it was. Sure did. Triple click. It's a podcast that we make. Thanks again, everyone who became a member during Max Fun Drive. And everyone who's a member already, we appreciate you. Thanks for supporting our show. And we wish you all luck on your Igatka quest. Yeah. Yes, good luck. Yes, that we all that we all must now undertake. All right, and I will see the two of you in a week. See you next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.